When y'all gonna? When y'all gonna? When y'all gonna play? <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer and just invite His presence to come and be with us. Oh, Father, we come to you today and we need you more now today than we've ever needed you. We just don't realize how much we need you. You tell us there's a rest for the people of God. Lord, many times that we're not resting because we're not absolutely, totally walking with you and depending on you like we should. Oh, Lord, help us to just come to a place that we rely on you in such a way that we take our troubles and our problems that just seem, seem to be so many and we turn them over to you. And we say, oh, Father, can you help me in this? That's what I pray for, Lord. That we as, a, as your people would come to a place that we so walk with you, that we would walk with you in such a way in trust, knowing that the, you tell us that, that, the, that they that come to God must believe that he is God. But there's a second part to that, Lord. Not only are we to believe that you're God, but we're also to believe you're the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. May we seek you with all of our heart and all of our soul, because then you say to us, then you'll find me. Oh, Lord, I pray a blessing over this congregation today. I pray you'd protect them. I pray that you'd meet their needs. I pray, Father, that you would prosper them in the way that they would go. And I pray, Father, simply for health and goodness in this congregation. And Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, oh Lord, may they understand that everybody in this place at one time has sat where they sat. And because they don't know you. Oh Lord, if, if, if Jesus came today, would he take them with him? Oh, that's what I pray for. I pray that every person here would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they walk with you. That one of these days, Father, you're going to take us all home. And Lord, it's my prayer that there would not be one single solitary person in this, in the sound of my voice that would be missing that I'm in heaven and I can look and I can see their face all lit up because of all the things that God has done. Be with us today. May we honor you and give you glory and honor and we ask this in Jesus' wonderful, magnificent name. Amen. Stand together and let's go.
ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And all your church said. Well, when we do congregational singing, you better start singing because uh, we just had installed this past week microphones in the ceiling. So we're listening in you. Listening to whether or not you're singing or not. All right. Let me get everything out of here. Got all my stuff right here. Okay. Well, there was this a young blonde who decided to try horseback riding, even though she had no lessons or prior experience. She mounted the horse unassisted, and the horse immediately springs into motion. It gallops along at a steady and rhythmic pace, but the blonde begins to slip from the saddle. In terror, she grabs for the horse's mane, but cannot seem to get a firm grip. She tries to throw her arms around the horse's neck, but she slides down the side of the horse anyway. The horse gallops along, seemingly impervious to the slipping rider. Finally, giving up her frail grip, the blonde attempts to leap away from the horse and throw herself to safety. Unfortunately, her foot has become entangled in a stirrup, and she's now at the mercy of the horse's pounding hooves as her head is struck against the ground over and over. As her head is battered against the ground, she's mere moments away from unconsciousness. When to her great fortune, Stan, the Walmart greeter, sees her and unplugs the horse. Yeah, I know. Well, I want you to, uh, uh, the, what the Lord has given me this week, really for today and then also even tonight. And the, the title of this message is The Preacher, Preacher's Method, Message. The Preacher's Message. And it's what preachers are supposed to preach. That's what it's about. It's important for you, though, that you understand that within this, you come here Sunday after Sunday, what are you looking for? In other words, what should be the message that really speaks to your heart and that you come back for more? What is the preacher's message? I want you to turn, if you would, over to the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. And I want to start reading in verse 14. Verse 17, I hope that you bring your Bibles. Uh, if not, it's up on the screen. I will say to those that are listening to us by video or by live telecast that, that we welcome you also with us. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Rome. He says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord who has believed our report. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for how you speak to us. Lord, we we don't want to be in line with those churches that seem to bring a message and Jesus is never mentioned. Or a philosophy or whatever it may be. But we also want to be what we want to be about what you want. And I believe today, Father, this is what you have called us to do. So I pray simply, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our strength, you're our redemption, everything. Lord, we need you in these days that people are just so uh, confused. In these days when all we hear is negative stuff from news and everything else. And clouds are gathering on the horizon it seems that people are telling us whether we're going to have food whether we're going to have gas whether we're going to have even things to heat our homes and Lord that's got to be a concern for many people especially many of our older people so I pray Father that we'd realize that you're sovereign today and that you're in control but I pray through this message that we would bring that out Be with us, Father, we pray, and I ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. So let me just ask this question. What are preachers supposed to preach? And yet, preaching is the primary purpose for delivering the gospel. It almost seems crazy. After everything that Jesus has done, it's almost like we have to beg people to come to the place that they give their heart and their soul to Jesus. Yet the Lord said himself in 1 Corinthians 1.21, he says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The foolishness of the message. So how is a person supposed to judge? If a pastor, if, if I stand before you as your pastor, how are you supposed to judge whether or not I am exercising good preaching or not. Whether what you're hearing here Sunday after Sunday is real, whether or not it is, whether it is by the Holy Spirit or whatever it is. How do those, how do those sitting in the pews know that a preacher, the messages that he's preaching is from him? Here's the test of the message doesn't, here's the test that the message, if it doesn't bring these things, then God, I don't know whether he's in it. And the message, it, it, the message should bring this. It should bring good tidings and good news. Because if it doesn't bring good tidings and good news, it's not the gospel. And that's exactly what the gospel is. The gospel is new, good news. Jesus said that he came to give us a, a new and a living way. A new and a living way. 
and the test for that message doesn't bring good tidings and good news, then it's not the gospel. For the gospel itself is good news. If you want to feed the gospel, then you read over, you read over for to 1 Corinthians, and I didn't give you guys this, but if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if somebody were to come and ask you, okay, what is the gospel? Here's what the gospel is in chapter 15. It says, it says this, it says, For I delivered you first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture, and that he was seen by Cyphus or Peter, then by the twelve, and he was seen for over 600 people. In these verses that I just read here in Romans, Paul is showing us how the message is to be known to mankind. Paul is saying that this gospel... And the method, uh, given the message of good news out is through preaching. Thus Paul is calling men to preach the message of salvation of good news. So Paul now tells us the message that we're to preach uh, in verse 14. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And I want you to notice something. The message is what? It's about him. That's where we've made our mistakes. We don't talk enough about him. Even when I talk, even when we go over to the book of Galatians and we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are those things that came into your life the moment you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you were born again. All those things, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, self-control, all nine of them were yours the moment you were born again into God's kingdom. The degree to which you love people, the degree to which you have joy, the degree to which you have patience, the degree that whether or not you have the peace of God that rules in our hearts and souls, the degree to all that is how much you give yourself over to Jesus. It's Jesus. So when I need patience, what I really need, when I, when I look at my life and I consider the fact that I'm not patient with certain people I should be, you know why it is? Because there's a gap between me and Jesus. When I don't have the joy that I ought to have, when the Bible says in Psalm 16, in his presence is the fullness of joy and his right hand are pleasures forevermore, I got to look and I got to understand there's a gap between me and Jesus. When the Bible talks about putting on the armor of God, what's the armor of God? The armor of God is Jesus. So reality, we talk about putting on the armor of God, you should never take it off. It's all about Jesus. And so Paul says here, he says simply, how shall they believe, how shall they believe, then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? It's all about Jesus. The message is about him. The message is about what Christ accomplished. That's what it's about. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? First, they got to hear. Second, they got to understand that they have not believed. And third, they have to call on him. It's sad to say there are many messages that are preached and listened to that the listeners don't hear about him. Because the entirety of the whole message, Jesus, is not mentioned. Now, I've seen preachers do that. 
Now, I've sat sometimes in church when I'm invited to come to church and, and, and I go when we're on vacation or something and I listen to the message and I'm telling you, I've heard whole messages that went as long as I go and, and they go as long as I go and, and Jesus is not mentioned one time. Paul is saying here it's all about him. It's all about him. Salvation is about him. Sanctification is about him. Redemption is about him. Justification is about him. Reconciliation is about him. Propitiation is about him. Regeneration is about him. Remove Christ from the sinner and you have nothing. May every man who stands behind a pulpit understand the message of the preacher is about him. The good news is about the Lord Jesus Christ, his person, and what he accomplished. Beloved, uh, what you get in the gospel, that is why the gospels in the New Testament came first. Mark records that the gospel or the good news uh, must first be published among all the nations, he says in Mark 13.10. Within the text of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the word gospel appears 14 times, five in the book of Matthew, six times in the book of Mark, and three times in the book of Luke. The facts are there that talk about him, facts of him, his birth, his manner, his way, uh, his way, his, uh, way he was born, his teaching, his miracles, his death, the resurrection, the ascension into, into heaven. These are facts. And the gospel message depends upon these facts. You say, well, Lee, you're, you're saying that the gospel message is all about Good news, and it is, it's good news. And why should I go on repeating this? Because the gospel message is because there are those in our day who are describing Christianity to the exact opposite. You describe, you ask the average person, what about Christianity, what Christianity is about? They're not going to talk to you about joy. They're not going to talk about peace. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a set of rules. We do this, we do this, we do this. That's not it at all. Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. I came to give you a new and a living way. I, I came to do something in your life that's just going to blow your pants off is what I really came for. Many places have divorced the message of the gospel from the facts altogether. Even Christianity is being taught that denies the facts altogether. And Paul warns this. He warns us over in Galatians 1. He says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. He says it's a different gospel, which is not another, but there's some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And brother, that's exactly what's happening in today. We got those that are perverting the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. He doesn't say it once, he says it again. As we have said before, and so I say again, I, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you've received, let him be accursed. Now, the tragedy is that we've divided the message from Jesus where he, he is not the emphasis. It's the same in Christian music, I believe. Listen, I don't care whether we sing out of the hymn books or we sing contemporary music. If it is about him, many songs are filled with too many personal pronouns. It's what I think. 
It's what I do. It's what he did. I did. He did. You did. Whatever. And it's not about him. It's not about the blood of Jesus. It's not about him giving his life for us. And so I'm not being critical of people. I'm just saying that everything ought to be about him. And Jesus has told us in John 12, 32, if I be, listen, people talk about, well, all people, other churches going down, uh, you know, there are people not coming, and, you know, only 10% of the people in America now attend church and Christianity. You hear this all over the place. Why is it? Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. He's not being lifted up. That was his word. If we lift Jesus up, if we show the world what Jesus is, as a result of that, he will draw people to him. The gospel is the facts that are connected to the person of Jesus Christ. And if we miss the facts and who they are connected to, we miss everything. Now, there are three common examples when people move away from the gospel. People who say Christians are to bring the kingdom of God to him. So, and we've, we've had, I heard people teach, and we had someone in our church one time saying, saying that Jesus wasn't going to come back until uh, the gospel is preached to the whole world. Let me tell you something. The gospel will be preached to the entire world. It'll, it won't stop when the rapture takes place. In fact, what do you think that 144,000 Jews, Billy, Jewish Billy Grahams are going to be doing during the tribulation? What do you think the two witnesses are going to be doing during the tribulation? They're going to be preaching about Jesus. This gospel is going to be lifted up even during the tribulation. It's when it begins to happen. And so, the, I mean, so people say, we've got to bring the kingdom. Listen, the kingdom is already here. Jesus said this, Luke 17, 20. He said, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. It's already here. Here's the second thing that people, where we've gone to, people who preach strictly on Christ's morals as morals are not God's grace. See, the Bible says, you know, people, I have people come to me all the time, well, I live by the Ten Commandments. Well, then you need to go and read Romans 3.20. What does Romans 3.20 say? It says, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. And, and in fact, if you go over to the book of, uh, you go over to the book of Corinthians, it even calls it, the, uh, it, it calls it simply the, the, the spirit of death. That's what the law is. And so, it, it's, it's not the point that the, the, the law, the Bible tells us in Romans, the law is good. The law is perfect. The problem is we can't teach it. We can't keep it. And that's what God knew. And that's why in uh, Hebrews 8, it says that you did not continue in it. But he did something wonderful. Jesus came and died in your place so that we could go to heaven one of these days. He satisfied the law. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but that the law through me might be fulfilled. He fulfilled every jot and tittle. So, you know, morals, you know, and, and what I see, I see preachers that I think are what I call thing preachers. You know, I, I remember one preacher that 
every sermon he preached, he'd work in smoking somewhere. Now, I don't want you to smoke just because of the fact. I think, I think God's saying, give me that. But by the same token, it, it, your health is the major thing. Do I think people that smoke are going to be saved? No, I don't believe that at all. You know, I won't say what I'm really thinking, but, you know, you just, you just won't. Anyway, never mind. I'm not going to say that. But, but here's the whole, but the whole point is that, you know, it is thing preachers. And the one guy, he, he preached on smoking, and every, every point he, he made, he'd work smoking in there somewhere. He, he could preach on the immaculate conception. He talked about Mary, how she did it. Second point is this, and my third point is, and now a word about smoking. That's what he would do. That's not the gospel. The other things we need to mention, the other things we need to tell people not to do, yeah. And if you come on Sunday night, that's what we get into. We get into the whole book of Corinthians. Third is those who tell Christians to put their faith in the church. Now listen, the Bible tells us we're not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves, and so you're to be here. That's what Christ wants you to be. And I really believe that when you're not here, you're not doing, and, and I understand how people miss and all this kind of stuff, and especially in the day and time we live. But you, no, you don't go to heaven because you go to church. But by the same token, Jesus told you to be here. And because you're, see, I'm not working to be saved. I'm working because I'm saved. The Apostle Paul point is that the gospel starts and ends with Jesus. So what should be the characteristic of any message concerning him? Paul answers that from a quote in Isaiah 52, 7. He says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So what's the general message of the gospel? It's good tidings. It's good news. When Isaiah wrote that Israel was in captivity and, and, and they, they, could, they couldn't do anything for themselves and was waiting for a deliverer. Always looking to the hills. And last, the message comes. And Isaiah begins to say that. He begins to talk to him about how that there's going to come a deliverer who brings good tidings, glad tidings, a good thing. And I wonder if not Psalms 121.1 is what they were thinking of. It is a reference to this because it says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. And, where does, and then he asks this question, where does my help come from? Then he answers it. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Indeed, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon. And I, I, I look to the hills, but my help comes from the Lord. What are you looking for today? All the trial, trials and I've never seen a time in history where that the government is so intruding upon our lives. But what are you looking for today? Are you looking to Jesus? Because I'm telling you what, this is the gospel message. He is the good news. He's the answer. The excitement that declares his coming, the glad tidings and with rejoicing. The very feet of those who preach the gospel because they know the gospel is good news. And the words used in Isaiah 52, 7 are the demonstration of what Acts says. I, 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 listen to what it says in, in, in Acts 8.4. Uh, 8, it says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They were, you know, why did they go everywhere preaching the word? Because they were excited about the good news. 
They never heard news like this. All their life they'd been bound and, bur- uh, and, and told they had to do this and do this, do this, do this. And yet, all of a sudden, they find a deliverer through Jesus Christ that he has paid the price for us. He's paid the price for us. And so as a result of that, they went about to tell people, why is it that we don't, why is it that we don't go about and tell people? Because we're not excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the answer. They went everywhere preaching the word, not because they had to or because somebody organized a night to go out and witness. No, they went because they were just flat out excited that they heard the good news. And when you hear such good news, isn't that the key? When you find, find something happens in your life that's so good and so wonderful that you just can't, you're on a bust out until you tell somebody? That's the way we ought to be with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here it is, one test which we must always apply to the preaching of the word. Is it good news? Once we've applied the facts to him, then this is good news and glad tidings and it won't fail. The gospel must always be glad tidings and good news. You say, well, Lee, what about hellfire and brimstone? Now, you know, I've got more comments probably on hellfire and brimstone than any other thing. Boy, that's good preaching, preacher. Just... Give it to them right there. You know? I'm all in favor of hell, fire, and brimstone as long as you close it out with the gospel. Jesus never leaves anybody hanging. And I don't want to leave you hanging. I don't want to preach a message here and show you how wrong you are in a certain area and never give you an outlet. Never let you know that the Bible says where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. To know that the Bible says in in Romans uh, chapter 5 verse 20, it says says simply that the law was given so that sin would increase. Why in the world would God want sin to increase? To help you to understand the only hope you got is through Jesus Christ and to drive you to Jesus. That's it. This is why... This is why exactly Paul goes over in, in, into uh, chapter 10 and he talks about two different types of righteousness. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God is that Israel may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He goes on to verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. There's a different righteousness. God's righteousness is here. I told my Sunday school class this morning, you know, uh, little kids come in and I do that scale 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, all the way down. One being absolutely evil, 10 being absolutely perfect. And I tell them simply, little kids, I tell them, I say, you know, God says that in order for you to go to heaven, you got to be perfect. And I've never failed. They'll look at me and they'll say, there ain't nobody perfect. And I said, that's right. And I said, what did God do? God has a predicament. What's his predicament? His predicament, he loves you more than anything else in this world. The Bible says that he loves you with an everlasting love. Every time I see a cross, I see Jesus hanging on that cross. You know why? He's dying for my sins. He's dying for my stuff. And yet, by the same token, God loves you so much, wants to bring you from to heaven, but God is just. 
That's the thing with this homosexuality and things. People say, well, you're just supposed to love everybody. What are we supposed to do with the Word of God? Throw it away? You know, we can't do that. That means I got to stand. I'm going to stand in love. I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them. I see one of them in trouble. I'm going to help him. I'm going to do whatever I can do to help. I, I, I mean it. I love them. I care about them. I care about them. But if I truly care about them, I've got to give them the Word. And the Word says in six times in the Bible that it is a sin. It's a sin. And so I, I tell them simply that, you know, and they say, well, there's nobody perfect. And I said, that's right. And so God, what was his predicament? He wants to bring you home to heaven, but he, he can't because he's, got to, he's just. He won't sweep your sins under the carpet. So what's he do? He, he, because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means we've got to die for it. But if that's the case, then what happens? The result is this. He took his own son and let his son die in my place. He killed his son rather than killing me. That's what happens. But there's still those that come to church and they'll sit around. Maybe, maybe they're just like a five on that scale to ten. And they'll look around the church and they'll find some old boy hanging on by, hanging on by a thread. And they'll, he's maybe a four. And they'll say, well, I'm better than him. It don't matter. You got to be a ten. You got you to be, it's the righteousness of God that has to be in your life. It's the good news. Then this is good news. You know, uh, this is good news and glad tidings. It won't fail. Isaiah 118 says this. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2 says, Ho, everyone who thirst, uh, let, him, let him come to the waters. And you who have no money... You have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine, milk without money and without price. I don't care who you are. You can come. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance is what it says. Listen, the state of America today deserves this. That we have the message, church. Don't let anybody fool you. Don't let anybody say that we're not, we're antiquated. Well, people don't want to go. Listen, we've got the message. But it must be centered into what the gospel message is because there's nothing that can remedy a situation apart from the gospel. Everything else has been tried and everything else has failed. We stand at the point of the most educated culture in history. Yet we stand today with people staring at the face of huge problems that we have no solutions for. The news is depressing. The only hope is the gospel that can change mankind. Why is the Christian church today so ineffective? Why does less than 10% of people uh, into a, go into a place of worship? Why is it that the Christian church influence means so little in this country and also in Winchester? I've been to that in front of that group down there. I don't know how many times. I've not won the first battle. One answer is that the state of the church is that the message of the gospel is not being preached. As a minister of the gospel, I must preach what that which is the Lord lays upon my heart, the gospel regardless of what men think. But I also have a responsibility to teach you to recognize the difference. The gospel is to be applied, to take the word into our heart and let it flow down into our mouth and our eyes and our hands and our feet. In other words, that's what James is saying when he says faith without works is dead. 
If we know the gospel message, then we're not to be carried away with every wind of doctrine. Thus the answer is to teach and instruct the gospel. But if, if you're not in a class or reading the Bible, then how can, how can you know? Because he says here simply that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And let me just say this to you. I used to think that hearing by the word of God, okay, I've read the word, you know, this kind of stuff, and, that, and I really believe that God does take that word, and he, I, that word if I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, I believe that. But I'm going to tell you how you overcome temptation is in the present. Because every sin that ever starts starts in your mind. Starts in your mind. And the Bible says that you've been given the mind of Christ. And he also says in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How do you do that? You take the word of God and you begin to start confessing that word. Get you four or five scriptures and just start when the thoughts come, like you want to just slap her or, or you want to do this or run over somebody or whatever. Or they cut me off, I'll show them, I'll get, you know. And listen, you get the word and you put the word in front of you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I, on and on and on. You just, and that's what Jesus did. He kept saying to Satan, it's written, it's written, it's written. That's the same thing we do. It, we can overcome it this way. But it's got to be, I, I realize that that word is in the now. The word now. Yeah, it, God will resurrect those words inside you. But you need it now. You need it now. If we know the gospel message, then we're not to be carried away with all this stuff that the world's throwing at us. You know, this answer is to teach and instruct the gospel. But you need to be in a class. You need to be in a Sunday school class. You need to be on Wednesday night or whenever it is. Whatever it is to get the word. One of the things, I, I, you know, we got a lot of people in the church that do a lot of different things. But let me just tell you something that I've discovered in my own life. If I am, if, you know, if I, I cannot give away what I don't have. And if you're not being fed somewhere, I love, I love coming in here on Tuesdays. I, li- I love to hear Mark teach. And I love, I love the camaraderie and the fellowship I have with those men in there. And we learn, it's fun, it's learn. I get so much out of that. It's my time to rest. I don't have to study for it. I don't have to do all the things I have to do. I spend hours through the week for a sermon on Sunday mornings. But to go in there and just hear the word, man, means everything. Listen, you cannot give away what you don't have. You got to find somehow to be fed. Faith comes by hearing. And if you don't do that, then the Bible says the devil walks about like seeking whom he may devour. Who does he devour? He devours those that don't know the word, that don't have an active prayer life, don't know the word of God, other things. We should also know what the gospel is not. Just because a man gets up in the pulpit and preaches does not mean he's preaching the gospel. Or, the, or he gets a big tent and sets up outside town and we call him an evangelist. No, if the message is not to affect the soul and give good news, then it's not an it's not evangelist. The Bible says it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Do, or, do you, or do not despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance. It's, it's when people realize that how much God loves them, cares for them, that they say, does he love me that much? Yes, he does. 
can I come to him? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. What was the prodigal what, do, what was it that the prodigal son remembered when he was down in the hog pen and all of a sudden he comes to himself? What did he remember? What's the first thing he remembered? He remembered that his father was good. He remembered that his daddy was good. And what was it when he ran home? He had his pig stinking, tattered life all the stone every which way, no shoes, nothing on. He's coming down there stinking like a big pig and he comes down there. And what did the father do when he saw him? He ran to him which the Pharisees would never do because they said he would show your ankles and that was a sin. He runs to him and, and the son's got his message. What's his message? His message is, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth and I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Just make me as one of your hired servants. And so he comes. Here's the father. He runs into the father. The father's already got his arms around him. He's got a ring on his finger. He's got a robe on him. He's got... He's got uh, uh, he's got shoes on him and what does he say the son says father I've sinned against heaven and earth I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son and he doesn't get to say the next part what's the next part just make me as one of your hired servants just make me as one of your hired servants he never gets to say why because we're saved by grace not by works we're saved by the love of Jesus that wraps his arms around us is what he does oh I'm telling you how great it is how great it is to know that the Lord loves us and cares for us like he does. You know, what was the main clause of the new covenant in Hebrews 8, 12? Listen what it is. This is a, you know, the Bible says that we ought to study to show thyself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed. Uh, and then he goes on to say, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, how do we divide it? We divide it by the covenants. And what's the covenants? Jesus says this over, he says a new covenant clause. He does this, listen to what he says over in Hebrews 8, 12. He says this, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I'll remember no more. Oh, what a gospel message that is. The gospel is not just a message of morality or ethics. That's a great misconception. The idea of Christianity is one that produces gentleness and goodness. A message of one that makes a man a gentleman. Morality and ethics is a message to tell us to live a good life and to encourage us to do so without supplying the means to do so. That's what it does. But the good news of the gospel tells us as it does in Romans 8 chapter 3. It says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's what he says. Tell us the problem with the law, morality, and ethics. He tells us over in Hebrews 8, 9. He says, not according to the covenant. He's talking about the old covenant, not the covenant I made with their fathers in the day, when I, the law, when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not, here's the problem, they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Who said that? God did. And then you got that main clause, for I will be merciful to the unrighteous and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. How do we know when the gospel is being preached? Here it is. When the message is glad tidings and good news are in it. 
In Christianity, the gospel, there must be an element of glad tidings of good news. If, only, if it's only moral teaching, then there's no good news. Glad tidings so that we cannot and it's not the gospel. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. God said the old covenant of the law was passing away. And he says in Hebrews 8, 13, he says a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now is becoming obsolete and growing old and ready to vanish away. And listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians as he describes this. He says, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the, but of the spirit. For the letter, here, here, listen how many times, four times. The letter kills, that's the law, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, that's the second thing, written and engraved on stones, some people say, well, now that was just a ceremonial law. No, it wasn't. What was written and engraved on stones? The Ten Commandments. Engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily in the face of Moses because the glory of the countenance of the glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? And listen to this. For the ministry of condemnation, there's the third, had glory. The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more. You say, well, then that we must be we must be free to just go do what we want. No, we don't. No, we're not. Because let me tell you what it says. It says over here in the book of Romans, chapter chapter six. If you read it, you get in there and study it. And I'm so thankful the Lord has educated me in this way. Listen, he says, But God be thanked that though you were the slaves of sin, yet you obeyed not the heart, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, having been set free, listen to this, from sin, you became the slaves of righteousness. That's the difference. That's the difference. The Bible tells us the gospel in Hebrews 10, verse 19 and 20. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest of the blood of Jesus by a new and a living way, which is consecrated for us through the veil that's in the flesh. Mm-mm-mm. God who knows the needs of people, but also knows the answers to those needs. The minister must be in contact with the Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to lead him in the message to be preached. So in every message, we must ask, where are the good tidings? Where is the good news? There are those who put others under rules and burdens and then tell them in order for them to be served the Lord, they must adhere to them. The Apostle Paul contended with that when he said over in Galatians chapter 2, Verse 4, and this occurred because false brethren are secretly brought in who came by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that we might bring us into bondage. Listen, there are people out there that want to bring you into bondage. There are people in your family who want to keep you in bondage. Jesus wants you to be free. Paul asked the Galatians also in 4.9, he said, but now after you have known God or rather known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and the beggarly elements to which you desire again to them to be in bondage? Don't do that. He tells them also that this is another gospel. I marvel that you are so turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But he goes on to say, but even if we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then that watch is preached to you. Let him be accursed. As he said before, so now let me, again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you've received, let him be accursed. Jesus told us that he'd come to give us life and give it to him more abundantly. The gospel is good news. Thus the people heard him gladly. In Luke 14, 
uh, verse 35, he says, those who, he, he, he said, Jesus said this, he said, those who have ears to hear, let them come. And who was it that came? You go to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says, and the tax collectors and the sinners were gathered to him. That's who had ears to hear. Luke, you know, John the Baptist in prison. And he sends his disciples to ask Jesus. Now, this is a man that, you know, sometimes we think these people weren't human. Listen, he's, he's, John the Baptist is the guy who said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He told Jesus, uh, he said, you should be baptizing me instead of me baptizing you. Here, here's this great man of God, but he now, he's, where is he? He's in prison. So here comes the squeeze. Here's things happening in his life that pushes him. And when he does, he sends his disciples to Jesus. And he says, go, he said, go back and, t- and he said, go find out from Jesus. Are you the one or do we seek another? Here's what Jesus said. Listen, in Matthew 11, verse 4 and 6, he says this, forgive us. Is that it? Uh, that's not it. Here, here's what he says. I don't know. I don't know what that is. But anyway, is, is that is that uh, Matthew 11? That's Luke 11. Matthew 11. Yeah. Can you go to Matthew 11? Well, anyway, he he's, he says go and tell. He tells the disciples to go back and tell John. He says this. He says Jesus answered and said to him, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. What's he What's he saying? Here it is. Go on. Go on to verse seven. Seven and eight. Seven and eight. Here's what he says. He says, and as they depart, uh, uh, you know, he, he just, what does he say? He, he says this. Let me just go to my book. Uh, Matthew. Uh, he, he says, the lame walk, the blind see, the dead are raised. That's what he says. He says, look, who, who's, the gospel is for everybody. It's not just for the elite. God doesn't care if you don't have a dime in your bank account. He loves you, cares for you. He wants you to come to him. Uh, And so this is it. The gospel is the Lord telling us when it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring nothing to things that are. No flesh should glory in his presence, is what he's saying. Well, listen. Who was it the announcement was made to when the gospel is produced, when Jesus was born? It's a bunch of lowly shepherds. And the angel looked at them, and here's what it said. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you. Listen to what it said. The angel said, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for there is born to you this day in in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And if there's no shouting... If there's no abandonment, there's no glory, there's no liberty, no setting men and women free, no praise, no joy, no rejoicing, then it's not the gospel. For where the gospel is preached, there's a cry. For what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God? Psalms 27, one said, I have desired of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord for all the days of my life and behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of his temple. For in that time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me and he shall set me free upon a rock. And this is why Charles Wesley wrote this song. 
Hark the herald angel sings. Hark the herald angel sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy and mild. God and sinners reconcile. Joyful in all ye nations rise. John and triumph of the skies. With an angelic host proclaiming Christ is born in Bethlehem. One of the greatest sermons I ever heard preached. Oh, it's all been years ago. But it was by a black minister by the name of Dr. S.M. Lockridge. And he talked about how Jesus was his king. I want you to hear this. He says, my king was born king. Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews, that's a racial king. He's the king of Israel, that's a national king. He's the king of righteousness, he's the king of the ages, he's the king of heaven, he's the king of glory, he's the king of kings, and he is Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wondered if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said, the heavens declare and the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there is no means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shore of supplies. No bearers can hinder him uh, from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's an enduring strong. He's entirely sincere. He's internally steadfast. He's immortal, graceful. He's empirically powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son and he's the sinner saved. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's honest. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the grandest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of proof theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's, that's my king. He's a miracle of ages. He's a superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. Well, he's the only one able to supply all of our needs uh, simultaneously. He supplies the strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's strong God. He guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. Uh, uh, He... He regards the agent. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. He, you do not know him. Well, my king is the king of the knowledge. He's wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. And he's the head of the heroes. He's, he's the leader of the legislature. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's my king. King, yes, that's my king, king, yes. His office is manful, his promise is sure, his light is matchless, his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love never changes, his word is enough, his grace is sufficient, his reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him for you, but he's indescribable. He's indescribable, yes, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible. I'm coming to tell you the heavens and the heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your your mind you can't get him out of your hands you can't outlive him and you can't live without him well Pharisees couldn't stand him but they found out they couldn't stop him Pilate couldn't find any fault in him the witnesses couldn't get the testimonies to ages Herod couldn't kill him the death couldn't handle him and the grace couldn't hold him that's my king yes he's always been and he always will be 
my king. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, he'll have no successor. There's nobody before him, there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him, you cannot go and get him to resign. That's my king, that's my king. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Well, the power belongs to my king. Around here talking about black power, white power, green power, but it's God's power. Then the power, yes, that's glory. We'll try to get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but the glory is all his. Yes, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever and ever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all those evers, then amen. I want to close with reading one more verse. I know. Isaiah 35, 8. Put that up there. I want you to see this. Isaiah 35, 8. Okay, 35, 8. Look at this. He says a highway. Let's talk about when Jesus comes. A highway shall be there and a road. And it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. It's for everybody. Amen? That's the gospel, guys. It's for everybody. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So today I'm saying, giving you an invitation in the gospel. Oh, how the Lord loves you and cares for you. And he's saying to you today, if you're here, if you doubt your salvation, if you've never been saved, no matter how far you've gone, the Lord says, all, all day long, I've stretched out my hand to you.